Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the concept of agritourism. If you haven't heard of it, it's defined as any agriculturally based operation or activity that brings visitors to a farm or ranch. And the folks at Hip Camp, who call themselves the Airbnb of camping, have launched a farm filter to help travelers find campsites across the millions of acres of farms, vineyards, and grazing land. So we'll find out more about that in a few minutes' time. Plus, if cruising's on your mind later in the podcast, we'll chat with the cruise guru, David Yeskel about his cruise down the Mexican Riviera on board the Carnival Panorama. But first, we're going to start things out this week talking with Patricia Schultz. She is the author of a new book called Why We Travel, 100 Reasons to See the World. You may know her for her previous book titled A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Very pleased to have Patricia join us now. Hi, Patricia. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. So nice to chat with you again. How hard was it to come up with 100 reasons? Oh, how hard was it to keep it down? (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, but because, you know, it's such a true... Travel is so very, very, very personal. People think that, oh, everybody travels. Yeah, but we all travel for different reasons. But there is a certain common denominator, and I think that is um, that it makes us better people, and it brings us joy. You know, so whatever you do in life, we've learned after, through, I should say, the pandemic, because it continues still, we've realized that what we took for granted and what we used to do on a seemingly regular basis, whether it was, you know, meeting our friends inside a restaurant Mm -hmm. or dinner or, you know, concerts or, you know, our whole world was moved outside if it was moved and took place at all. And travel was the number one thing to me in my world that just stopped abruptly, almost from one day to the next. And it was a very um, particular time, and it was a very um, appropriate time, I thought, for me to take that opportunity and step back and kind of reflect and write this book, which I thought, oh, I can throw this together in a few weeks. (laughs) But... um, the more you think about things of importance to you, the more you realize the deeper dive is always a very involved one. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's been said since forever, and maybe this book will just remind people that it, it opens us up. You know, the sensation of opening up your world is very real, and it's almost a guarantee. I mean, I've never heard anybody come back from a trip, whether it's, you know, down the road to a state park or overseas three generations to stay stay for a month in a farmhouse in Tuscany, people will come back, you know, with a new mindset, kind of recharged and, you know, ready to hit Monday morning with Mm -hmm. a new energy and often with a new respect for our home. So it's like a win-win situation. You've had this incredible time on your little getaway and then you come home with a new appreciation or a new way of seeing things and with new eyes. So there's no downside to travel. <laughs> as much as I looked and as much as I dove, um, you know, maybe a dent in your bank account, but, you know, you'll always pay off that credit card trip, won't you? Yeah, um, well, it's only money, as they I say, right? Right. And look at the investment in yourself. Mm-hmm. 
that you've made in the meantime. There's this great expression about how travel is the only thing you can buy that makes you richer. And, you know, how how true is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, are the your hundred reasons, are they listed in any particular order? Like over of no, importance, for example. That would be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do a good job with uh, with it because not only do you provide uh, a reason to travel, you also give some great examples. And I and I just pulled one up before at random, like take a walk, and, and you give some great examples yeah. of some nice hikes and some great photographs too. By the way. Yeah, thank you. We we really made. Um, our aim was to create a mix of photographs that would be colorful and energetic and lively and kind of jump off the page at you because it should represent what travel promises us, you know, that same um, energy or that same inherent beauty of that destination. And taking a walk, um, that came from a lifelong love I've had of just getting out and walking. It's the first thing I do when, you know, I, I come to... A city, um, especially if my room at the hotel isn't ready until three o'clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also, I took one of those long-distance walks that isn't really something that I do regularly. Because, as you know, as anxious as I am to walk around the block and see a new destination, this was the Camino in northern Spain mm-hmm. that is hundreds and hundreds of miles long. But I found out that you can do just a segment of it. So mm-hmm. we walked only 100 miles. And I also found um, what some people consider a cheat because they often carry their life belongings on their back. There are agencies that will carry, that will transport your suitcase or your backpack, whatever, from one end to the next. So your only obligation is to walk those 10 to 12 miles a day and then kind of crawl into the next (laughs) inn where hopefully your bag is waiting for you. But regardless, that experience to me, I mean, I was ready to do it all over again the next day. We only have about a minute. So who should read this book? A seasoned traveler, someone who's traveled not very much, or someone who's trying to convince someone else to travel with them and and needs some reasons? Yeah. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I mean, really, the book was the book was meant for everybody, and the book was meant for the post-pandemic everybody among us, because even those who have us who have traveled regularly and you know consistently, like myself, it's kind of you know once you're back in the saddle, it's as if you know nothing has stopped or nothing has changed. But the people who are more reticent or, you know, who are more hesitant to resume traveling or who have never traveled at all, um, you know, this is my encouragement and my inspiration and to remind people of just how important it is that it will have you come home at the end of the day or at the end of the experience saying, I've got to do this more often. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've got to do this again. (laughs) Patricia Schultz is the best-selling author. Uh, Her previous book was A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Her new book is Why We Travel, 100 Reasons to See the World. It was uh, great chatting with you, Patricia. I'm I'm assuming you can get this uh, wherever you get books, right? Yes, Amazon.com or any of the online, as well as the independent booksellers, of course. Great chatting with you, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much.
Well, one aspect of the travel industry that's growing in interest is agritourism. And one company that's making it easier for you to experience it is the folks from Hip Camp. They've opened up a whole new avenue for you to book a camping space at a farm or ranch or vineyard. So joining us now to explain further is Ellen Bodie. She's the Canadian Operations Manager for Hip Camp. The website is hipcamp.com. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Randy. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Uh, you like to describe Hip Camp, or Hip Camp likes to describe itself as the Airbnb of camping. So for those who have never heard of Hip Camp, and we've had you on before uh, the show, so uh, for those who have never heard of it, uh, just give us a, a brief explanation of what Hip Camp does. Okay, amazing. So Hip Camp is for anyone who loves camping, and we um, connect hosts, so Uh, people who own land in Canada, to people who are looking to get outside. Um, We know that it's more difficult than ever to book a campsite in um, provincial parks and national parks. And so Hip Camp is trying to help people access the outdoors through people who already own land in their area. Yeah, simple enough. Uh, And if you're like me, you don't have a uh, whole lot of camping experience, you can help out that way because there's various levels of camping, right? There's there's p- people that will provide yes. everything for you and you just kind of show up, which is what why mm-hmm. I really like, uh, to people who have the stuff and all they need is a space, right? Yes, you are absolutely correct. So we have everything from primitive camping, so where you would have, you know, like you said, everything you need. You have a camp stove, you've got the, you've got the tent, you've got the camp chairs, and then we also go all the way to people who own cabins and yurts. And so you show up and you get even a little bit more than everything being set up. You might even have a bed in a cabin. Um, So we have quite a range of supply across Canada. So um, everything from tent camping to RV camping to glamping and um, uh, tents to um, cabin stays. Yeah, to farms and vineyards and ranches, too, because that's the new concept of uh, agritourism. So explain a little bit little bit about the, that concept of agritour- agritourism. It, it is a growing thing, isn't it? Yeah, you're so right. So what's really interesting when we launched Hip Camp last year in Canada is we you know, set out and said, if you have some extra land, you can list on Hip Camp. And what we noticed was that so many of the people who were signing up with us were farm owners. Um, They might have, like you mentioned, a vineyard or they could have some farm animals. And so what we did this year is we tried to make it easier for people to find those really unique stays that are so different than what you can get in our provincial parks. And we added a farm filter. So this filter allows you to go onto hipcamp.com, search for the area you're looking for, and then you can filter on a farm stay. And then you can get to experience a vacation at your local vineyard or your local um, your local llama farm. There's tons of different options there. Mm -hmm. Well, I can think of uh, quite a few different examples. A vineyard would be fun. Uh, So how involved do the guests get with the host, though? Like, can they, you know, experience uh, a day in the life of, uh, I don't know, a rancher, farmer, vineyard person, uh, that kind of thing? Or or I guess you can kind of choose how far involved you want to get. You're, you're exactly right. So different hosts have different levels of involvement. But one thing that's really cool about Hip Camp is um, so someone who owns a vineyard or someone who owns a farm, they might not think that what they do day to day is um, super interesting for someone on vacation. But what they find is these families show up and it's the first time that kids have ever been able to see a chicken coop or, you know, pick their own farm fresh eggs. So 
what we're really thinking um, here, the magic is that um, families are getting to experience firsthand what it's like for someone with a vineyard and picking those grapes off of the vines or someone with um, a llama farm and taking those llamas for a walk. Um, that's been like a really magical experience about this farm stay and agritourism boom that we've seen. And I think there is a real disconnect. I think we kind of underestimate uh, just how um, the, the lack of knowledge in how our food gets to the table uh, these days, right? We just kind of think it shows up at a grocery store and we go buy it. But people have a, bit, a big disconnect on, uh, for example, a, a farm or a ranch or something like that. You're absolutely right. We have so many um, of our hosts who are farmers that, you know, they offer breakfast in the morning and the food is made from land that they have right there. And so people are eating not even just farm to table, but, you know, farm to campsite and the campsite is 20 meters away. So it really doesn't get more fresh or more experiential than that. Um, so you're definitely right. Mm-hmm. So what about facilities like just simple like washroom facilities, that type of thing? I guess, it, again, it depends on the on the type of uh, camper that you are. But I, I would suppose you could find all that out through your filter, right? Yes. Yeah, so we do have a filter for washrooms. We also have a filter for pets. Many Canadians love to go camping with their pets. Um, so you can filter right there. Um, and if there isn't a washroom, we do have um, the recommendation that you have a self-contained RV mm-hmm. um, so that there is a place for, for you to go. Mm-hmm. And again, if you uh, are inexperienced like me or don't have much camping stuff, there is that filter too where you just show up. <laughs> Somebody's farm and they have it all yes. set up, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You can, have, you can put as many filters as you want in a search. So you can search for um, close to Edmonton, on a farm, has a toilet and you can bring your pet and we will have tons of um, tons of options available for you and you can pick one that meets all of your needs there. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, we are coming into the fall season and then winter will be hitting soon. I, I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong too, that uh, things drop off over the winter months. Um, so things do drop off over the winter months for tent camping. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely not the... Um, explorer that uh, would go camping in minus 30 degree weather. So (laughs) in that case, we have um, tons of options for cabins where there's a full structure and oftentimes, most times, a heating source for you. So you can stay nice and warm um, and still enjoy the outdoors during the winter months. Nice. And uh, and there's other activities, too, that people can enjoy depending on where they're going, what the destination is, such as, uh, I'm just thinking if you're near a national park or something, there's hiking and and all those other things that you can do uh, as well. Definitely, definitely. Um, What we've noticed and um, what our studies have shown is that uh, on average, when someone takes a trip on hip camp, they end up spending over $300 in the local economy there. So whether that be, um, you know, going on a excursion or going to the local restaurant or the local um, bakery, um, people are going to stay in these communities and then supporting the agritourism industry and other industries as a whole um, right there in the local economy. Mm. And, of course, if winter isn't uh, your thing, uh, there, there's always next year, and, and you probably do <laughs> want to plan ahead if you want to get your choice of places to, to go, right? You're exactly right. So Alberta is our largest um, and fastest-growing market. So we've seen 339% growth in Alberta from 2021 to 2022, And we're forecasting another huge growth um, in that market again next year. So 
if you're um, looking to get away next year, definitely recommend jumping on hipcamp.com as soon as possible to book in your vacation for, for next season. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a great concept, and it's a great idea to uh, get people to learn just how uh, the agro business works. No matter, And I do like the idea of being on a vineyard, by the way. Uh, Ellen Bodie is the Canadian Operations Manager for HipCamp. The website is hipcamp.com. Uh, appreciate uh, your time, Ellen. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Randy. Well, if taking a cruise has been on your mind lately, you might want to follow one of our regular guests when it comes to cruising, David Yeskel, otherwise known as the Cruise Guru. His latest adventure was on board the Carnival Panorama, cruising the Mexican Riviera, and David joins us now to tell us all about it. You can follow him on Twitter at Cruise Guru, and his website is oceancruise.guru. Hi, David. Hi, Randy. Let's uh, begin. We're going to talk about the uh, Carnival panorama, but let's begin by just doing a, maybe a basic update on vaccine status and what people should know when taking a cruise as, far as, cruise as far as that goes. Sure. So what changed in early September were that pretty much all the major lines uh, relaxed their testing and vaccination rules. So now um, guests who are fully vaccinated do not need to show a negative test before they board. If they're unvaccinated, then they do have to show a test within two or three days, a negative test within two or three days before boarding. And in a lot of cases, it does not even need to be monitored or proctored. So they can take, guests can take a photo of their test result, you know, next to their driver's license, say, and show that. So um, it's very early now. We're going to see how that works, of course. But, but the, the new rules really were relaxed starting in September, pretty much across the board. Are more people cruising now in general, you think? Yeah, so actually when those new protocols went into effect, bookings doubled in some cases. So a lot of people were just waiting for that relaxation to to, to, to make their plans to get aboard. So mm-hmm. we'll see how all that works. Let's hope it's, uh, you know, it works out well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about the Carnival Panorama now. Are the Carnival ships still fun ships? They always claim that they're fun ships. Are they still fun? <laughs> they, they are, Randy. They are, Randy. You know, so fun ships have been carnival has been carnival's mantra mm-hmm. since the beginning, and they've stayed true to that. And, and and now, really, I think all the fun is back because even though their full their full um, fleet returned, the full fleet of twenty three ships returned in May. Um, they didn't have all their crew aboard, and this, and this was not just carnival. This was mm-hmm. happening to all the cruise lines. They couldn't get all their crew back aboard because of visa issues, slowdown in visas. So they they couldn't they couldn't offer all the experiences that they were previously you know offered. And, and now everything's pretty much back. The captain's toast, uh, weddings are back on board. Um, Carnival's Cucina del Capitano, their their very popular Italian specialty restaurant, had been closed across the fleet because of staffing issues, and that's now open again. So so I think guests cruising carnival and for that matter on other lines right now we'll find that pretty much the full experience they had pre-pandemic is back and with carnival that does mean that the fun is back and i have to tell you their their ships are there's just so many fun things going on aboard <laughs> the mega deck parties randy there must have been three of these deck parties on the seven-day cruise 
there were a thousand people out on deck dancing, um, and, and you know, in these different theme parties at night. Plus, the shows, punch the the punchliner comedy club shows are, are really popular. The activities, they're fun, and that's what Carnival's all, Carnival's all about, and and it continues to be that way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, now, what's unique about the Carnival Panorama in itself? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, so this is a Vista class ship. Um, and they do have some unique features on board. So they do have this Sky Zone, which is the only indoor trampoline park at sea. Really cool. Uh, you can bounce around in it, bounce <laughs> off the walls, literally. They're basket- you can dunk a basketball if you've always wanted to do that. You can do that. <laughs> Plus they have choreographed games. There's staff inside there, you know, helping people and, and choreographing the games. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, and they also have Carnival Kitchen, which is really kind of unique in in mass market ships. So I've I've seen these features before on on you know ultra top end the luxury ships, these uh, kitchen setups where the chefs are leading you through classes, preparing certain dishes, but not on on mass market contemporary ships like Carnival. So um, uh, uh, only on four four Carnival ships, there's a Carnival Kitchen. And it's a really great setup. You have nine separate kitchen stations, each for a pair of, of cooks. Mm-hmm. And um, so they can accommodate up to 18 people. A chef leads you through the preparation of a dish. Everything is portioned out already for you there in your individual kitchen. And they lead you through the preparation. And we made um, fettuccine with um, cherry tomato and pancetta. It was delicious. And then we all enjoyed eating our creations at the end of the class. Oh, so nice. Fun. A lot of fun, about an hour and a half total, uh, $35 a person, which I thought was a very good value. And it, it, it's really a unique feature, and that was, that was great. So is it almost too crowded, though? I'm thinking like some of the uh, things that they have on there. Is there a, a wait in line for it, or do you have to sign up like, so you're not disappointed? So you do have to sign up for things like Carnival Kitchen, but pretty much everything else is first come, first serve. And I have to say, on this, on this sailing... It was at 108% of capacity. <laughs> so there were 4,200 guests. So normally double, double occupancy is about, it's, it's about uh, 4,000. So that means there were third and fourth bunks uh, or berths. Yeah. People in them. But even with that capacity, and by the way, the full complement of crew was back uh, about 1,450. Uh, even with that number aboard, a couple of areas I felt crowding in. One was the Lido Marketplace, the Lido Buffet Marketplace, occasionally, say, at lunch or breakfast. Mm-hmm. The other was right around the main pool area. Other than that, I can say there was plenty of space to spread out in all the public areas aboard. The ship's massive. Um, the, the public rooms are really nice and comfortable. And I never really felt crowding aboard, even at that capacity, except in those couple of small areas. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the itinerary now. Uh, the ports are called the Mexican Riviera. I always thought that this was uh, a really good cruise for a first-time cruiser. You're not really in open water. You're stopping uh, at a port almost every day kind of thing. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree, Randy. It's a great great cruise. And, and for West Coast cruises, they're somewhat mm-hmm. limited limited geographically of where they can get to within seven days and back to L.A. So so these are the three ports, Cabo San Lucas, Mazatlan, and Puerto Vallarta. Um, you know, they're all very safe. I've been to each. If I told you I was at each 100 times, I wouldn't be exaggerating. <laughs> but, but, but I keep finding new things and new areas to explore in each. And so there's plenty to do in them. You know, there's great beaches. You can walk to some of the beaches from the ship, right from the port. So... Um, they're inexpensive options, 
And it's important that people know that, you know, they heard about the, there was this recent unrest in border cities mm-hmm. in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, that has nothing to do with these cities. These cities are far from those border areas. These are all re- remain relatively safe and, and you know, they're set up for and watching tourists. So uh, I think they're going to continue to be safe for a long time to come, hopefully. But they're a lot of fun. And there's, like I say, there are inexpensive options to do in each of these ports. Or you can go with the ship's, um, you know, shore excursion. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, on the flip side of that, uh, it's a, you know, when I said it was a, g- a good cruise for a first-time cruiser, I think a lot of people poo-poo that because it's like, well, it's places that I've been before, Cabo and Mazatlan and, and Puerto Vallarta, but there's always something fun to see, like you mentioned, right? There's always something fun to see, and like I say, a lot you can do on your own, mm-hmm. uh, independently, easy, or with a taxi in any of these places. So so they're inexpensive, fun ports, um, and, and I think it's a great itinerary, and yes, for a first-time cruiser, um, seas are, are, you know, typically very calm going back and forth from mm-hmm. that, like you're hugging, you're hugging the coast pretty much all the way down. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a great cruise from the West Coast. And even when you mentioned the safety factor, I, I always uh, say that uh, any time there's even a slight hint at, uh, at a port of call is not going to be safe, the cruise ships are the first ones to pull out. So if they're going there, you got to know it's safe. Oh, absolutely. They skip ports if there's any kind of hint mm-hmm. of danger. So and they can do that easily, right? They can do that easily. So I've been on I've been on cruises to Mexico where maybe in past years when there was trouble in Mazatlan, um, they overnighted in Puerto Vallarta. So you know you get longer in that port. So you know the cruise lines are very uh, adept at managing their assets, and they can move them or uh, change the itineraries where need be, and, and still deliver a great product to the guests. Mm-hmm. Well, now you make me want to go on a carnival. Cruise yeah. now <laughs> because they're, they're the fun ships. <laughs> I agree. It was great to be back aboard Carnival. Yeah. David Yeskel is the cruise guru. You can follow his adventures on Twitter, like I do, at Cruise Guru, or you can check his website, oceancruise.guru. It's always uh, great to chat with you, David. Thank you. Same here. Same here, Randy. Thanks a lot. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus. Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.org.